Listener Production. Miriam Risby is one third of the ARIA Award nominated children's band, The Beanies. If you're a parent, an auntie, or an uncle to a little person, then you've probably heard her singing as Mim Beanie on ABC Kids or right here on the Listener app. You would also have heard Mim filling in for me, introducing Art Simone's episode of the Weekend Briefing last Saturday. And that's because when you get taken out by COVID at the last minute and half the briefing team have newborn babies, you can only call on family for help. That's right, Mim is also my little sister, which means this episode of the Weekend Briefing is a kind of peculiar one, mostly because I already know the answers to some of the questions I asked, but not all of them. It's incredible how someone so close to you can also surprise you when you take the time to dig a little deeper. My name is Jamila Rizvi and welcome to The Weekend Briefing. Up next, Bron is jumping into the hot seat and we will be recommending what to watch, see, do, eat and listen to as part of The Weekend List. But first, here is my conversation with Miriam Rizvi or Mim Beanie and apologies in advance for a few little scratchings and mufflings from her beautiful dog Rosie in the background. Everybody, in the most awkward episode of the Weekend Briefing yet, welcome to the podcast, Mim Rizvi. Hi, Jamila Rizvi. All right, guys, everyone (laughs) listening, this is very awkward. As I've just told you in the introduction, Mim is my favourite and only sister, and she is also one third of the ARIA Award-nominated group, The Beanies. And so she's here today to talk to us about getting your start in theatre and what it's like uh, working with kids for a living. But Mim, let's start at the very beginning. Tell me about your earliest memory of theatre and how you felt. I don't know if this one counts because it's more an anecdote of a memory. But when I was in preschool, I was cast as the Virgin Mary um, in our Christmas play. And I remember the boy that I was cast against who played Joseph didn't speak much English and I don't think he really knew what to do. There weren't many rehearsals because it was a preschool show. Um, And I remember kind of stealing the show by just being an idiot. So I picked up the donkey and carried it myself and I did a lot of like, oh, Joseph and huffing and puffing at him. And then when we sang Away in a Manger, the very like pinnacle of the show, I decided it was a bit boring. So I just went cross-eyed during that, during that and I got a lot of laughs. And I remember thinking that that was really cool to get a lot of laughs mm. from adults in, in a situation where I'm meant to be doing something else. Yeah. Like, and obviously I was there. Watching yeah, you, your, you saw it. <laughs> watching your preschool show, and it was it was absolutely hysterical. Watching <laughs> this little kid with a pillow stuffed up under her dress, pretending to be pregnant, carrying a toy donkey, while the Joseph, the dad, just kind of wandered around the stage. And yeah, you did, he didn't know what he was doing. He did it, and you did steal that show from the first minute. And I'm interested to know that you knew what you were doing. Do you know what I mean? Like you weren't being yeah. one of those kids who were just cute and funny because that's kind of how you came off. There was a bit Mm. of that, but it was quite, like, it was quite deliberate, right? It was a bit deliberate. Yeah. I definitely knew that going cross-eyed was something that I could do and was something that was funny. Um, It's still like one of my best skills. Kids love it. Um, Yeah. And I, I do remember being aware that I was doing it and aware that people were laughing. 
when you were growing up, did you have performing in mind the whole time? Was that where you were setting your sights from the beginning? I don't think so. I think I really loved it and I really enjoyed it. And this is weird to tell you because we have the same father, but I don't think that was ever really a professional option on the table for us from our parents. Um, Because as you know, dad grew up in India and probably experienced levels of poverty that I could never understand. Um, And so he came with a lot of fears around what kind of jobs we would go into and us being successful. And I think for that reason, theatre was just never on the table. And it was always just a fun thing that I did. And it wasn't until very later in life, um, not not late in life, but like early 20s, that it actually became something that I thought maybe I could do this and go off and do it. And it, it was pretty scary. Mm. I've talked to a bunch of people on this podcast who are performers, whether they're comedians or actors or singers, who have talked about having one or more parents who were anxious about them pursuing an artistic career. Yeah, really. For a lot of them that ended in the breakdown of that relationship, Mm. obviously that's not the case for you because our parents are great, but (laughs) when you were a teenager, how did you navigate that sense of, because when you're a teenager you're not being very sensible, right? You're not sitting there going, actually dad's being quite pragmatic and a career Mm. in the arts probably isn't the most stable option. You You just know what you love. Yeah. And I think I found it really hard to talk to dad about it when it wasn't a success. So Mm. when I would go to drama school and make that choice and when I would go to an audition and get a no, which happens all the time, I felt like I couldn't tell him about it. And that was probably my own projection because I didn't want him to say, well, are you surprised? Or like, grow up or time to give up like I just didn't want to hear that and I knew that that even if he even if he patted me on the back and said good job in my head it would say he would say time to stop and that's not very fair of me but yeah that was that was really difficult for me to deal with especially because you and I both are such goody two-shoes people pleaser kind of kids and praise from mum and dad was the greatest thing in the world. And so I did not want to hear even just like a half-hearted, oh, well, I didn't want to hear that. Yeah. And that would have been like, I I can imagine that would have been really hard, especially when, and we're going to go back on some of this, this success and how it happened, but when success was really starting to come your way in Mm. your artistic pursuits. And then at the end of March of 2020, the whole world shuts down and, and you tweeted at the time, in just a few days, my band, The Beanies, has lost thousands of dollars. We're trying to pivot in what looks like no possibility of paid gigs anytime soon. But in a mm. severely underpaid industry and a niche area in that industry, we are pretty freaked out. Can you tell me about like those yeah. couple of days, those first few days of the pandemic, which I think were scary for everyone because mm. we, we didn't know what this virus looked like. We didn't know how deadly it was. We didn't know what was coming. Mm. But for you, there was a there was a livelihood issue. Yeah. It was very strange because we'd actually just performed our first show of the Beanie's Extraordinary Day, which is our stage show in the queue in Canberra, like in Queen Bean, sorry, which is a theatre. And the day after it was lockdown. So 
it was it was super weird to do the show and be very excited that it was happening and the tour was happening and then the next day it was all gone. Um, I definitely was very optimistic about the pandemic. I didn't buy a desk, a desk chair, any. I didn't buy anything for maybe a year. I was like, oh, it'll be gone any second now. It is fine. Um, so I just treated those first few weeks as an opportunity to do lots of work and to do lots of learning new skills. So I learned how to animate for our green screen videos and I just immersed myself in that and probably to the detriment of my mental health. I definitely just sat on my computer and animated videos and was like, well, if I have to stay home, I'm going to make the best of it. But of course you can't do that for two years. Yeah. And I think a lot of us uh, who are people who are driven by our work and that's where our satisfaction Mm. comes from treated the beginning of the pandemic that way as okay well it's an opportunity to get more done because I'm not commuting or you know I'm not going out at night what else can I achieve um and there was I think uh, perhaps there was a a lack of recognition of I'm not staying home to get my work done I'm staying Mm. home because it is dangerous to not be at home yeah and that was really difficult to deal with and also for our audience to deal with because like as you know you've you've got young young son Ruffy and all of a sudden our customers are having an even harder time than we are they're at home working homeschooling like it was hard for us but we don't we we don't have kids at the moment so we didn't have that extra pressure and so we felt a lot of responsibility to help our audience as much as we could and we did a lot of live stream concerts for free and that sort of thing. And um, it was it was good, but it just it's not the same. And it definitely felt like a big gear shift in the business and a big change to like the planned trajectory that we had. Mm. There's been a lot of commentary in the media about the arts being left behind during yeah. the pandemic and by the previous yeah. government. Did you feel like that? Yes, absolutely. I think... Um, we were not eligible for any kind of support payments for the first lockdown because we weren't technically classified as a small business and the revenue that was coming that month, we hadn't had it before because the tour was about to launch. So we had no receipts to say last month we earned X because we didn't, but we were about to earn a lot and that didn't count. So we we basically got nothing for the first one. And then the second lockdown in Sydney they changed the policy a little bit. And so we were all eligible for some help payments as individuals, but not as the business. So those ones got us by, but it didn't really help with the the growth of our business or even just like keeping our head above water as a business didn't help. And there would have been so many people in that position, right, who, you know, those JobKeeper payments were designed to support people based on their past performance or yeah. support businesses based on their past performance. But if you're a business that's been building and building and building and building and you've just hit the point where you might be profitable, yeah, you're not being paid on your potential. Exactly. And that's exactly where we were because, like I said, we just done our first show of the tour and then all the other shows got cancelled and got postponed. And, like, we're, we're a bit business savvy now but we didn't know to take deposits and we didn't know to do all those things. So then we called the theatre and said, can we have a deposit? And they were like, no, of course you can't. Get out of here. Let's take a step back then because you really have built this business from scratch with you and your mates. Tell us who the beanies are and what you do and how the original concept came about, how you got started. Yeah, well, the original concept 
came about because I was auditioning for lots of shows and not having much luck. And I would call my friend Laura, who's in the beanies now, and cry to her and be woe is me about not getting into these shows. And then she said, well, I'm moving to Sydney. Why don't we try and make our own work? And that will be a really good project for us when we're not in other shows. And I was like, great, that sounds good. And then we decided we needed a boy for a bit of diversity. Um, and uh, I knew Michael from touring a show with him previously around Australia, a kid's show as well. So I knew that he was good with kids. I knew he was funny. I knew he could sing. I knew he could play music. So we called him. Laura had never met him before. And then we all piled in together and just started writing poems. And then we took them to our friend James Court, who's the composer of The Beanies now, and we, and then we turned them into songs together. And so that's how it all started. And then I think the first bit of actual success we saw was the launch of our podcast, which was actually your idea. So thanks for Podcasts, that. Podcasts, who um, <laughs> So we'd written all these songs and, and I remember sending them to you and playing them for you and you were like, they're great. How are you going to get people to listen to them? And I was like, that is a very good question. And then you came up with the idea that parents needed a screen-free entertainment option for their children. And so that's how the podcast was born. And then we used the songs within the podcast and wrote stories about them and lessons to go with them. And we wrote a whole album and 10 podcasts to go with it. And I remember we got maybe 80,000 downloads in a week. So it's huge. It's huge. It's huge. huge. Like we were completely blown away. So songs that were like living in our Google Drive were suddenly being heard by thousands and thousands of people. And none of us had ever experienced anything like that before. This might sound like a strange question, but when do you know you're good? Like when you're when you're writing songs and you're making songs and then you're putting them out on a podcast and then performing them on stages, at what point did you first go, okay, this this is this good. could really be a thing? I hope it'll be any day now. <laughs> <laughs> Just waiting for that success feeling. <laughs> I don't know. I've definitely, and I'm sure Laura and Michael don't feel the same way I do, but I come from definitely a big imposter syndrome and a big level of anxiety around achieving specific things. And so I think I have a lot of trouble recognizing when we've won things and when things have gone well and saying like, yes, that was good. And we got it because we're good. I have a lot of trouble doing that. In fact, when the Arias were first the nominations of the Arias went out, I didn't even go because I didn't think we'd get nominated. Laura went by herself. And then she called me screaming and I was like, what's wrong? What's wrong? Have you seen a spider or something? I had no idea what she was talking about. And it really made me question the validity of the Arias that we got nominated. So it's just (laughs) like, I just have a lot of trouble celebrating our own success. It's something that I've always really struggled with. Why do you think? I think it's probably comes from, I don't want to, this is it is me? Is it my fault? No. I had a horrible older sister who still locked me in a cupboard. <laughs> well, you are very successful, Jamila, and I have spent a lot of my life looking up to you and trying to be you. Um, and I think mum and dad have also been very successful and very ambitious. And I think dad has a level of when you do something really good, the only comment is, good one, Mim, full stop. And yeah, and I think because I seek praise so much and then not getting it from the people that I want 
it the most. Maybe that maybe that's something to do with it. And but I do think that this is my own issue that I need to figure out because it's definitely not an expectation put on me from mum and dad or from you, but it's definitely one that I have created in my own mind around you guys. Yeah. I find that weird because you are, yeah. with no offence to our mum and dad, who are great, <laughs> you are so much cooler than the rest of the family. So I find that an odd reflection. Really? Yeah. I don't think anyone's ever called me cool ever. Or it, maybe it's just comparative, but <laughs> it's a low bar. <laughs> Compared to the rest of us nerds, I think you're doing all right. You've recently got engaged. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you very much. What does planning a wedding look like when the country's still coming out of a pandemic? Oh, it's it's very expensive. And I think it's more expensive than it has been in the past. And it's more difficult. There's so many people trying to get married at the moment. I think I had to email like 20 different hairdressers trying to get a hairdresser. So is it because people, everyone put off their wedding for two years? Exactly. Everyone put off their wedding. And then there's all the people that would just be getting married now because they got engaged a year or a year and a half ago, like, like us. Um, actually, this is a funny story. So the first hairdresser that I emailed was one of Charlie's, Charlie's my fiance, um, was one of Charlie's ex-girlfriends and I didn't know. Oh, God. Yeah, I had no idea. I was just like, oh, she does great hair. And I emailed her and then I was complaining to him about how I had to email so many people and then he said, oh, you should email my ex-girlfriend. She does hair, ha, ha, ha. And I was like, what's her name? And she, she was the first one that I emailed, the first one. And did she say no? She was busy. Right. That's awkward. (laughs) It would have been very awkward. I think they had a, an amicable breakup, and it was very, it was very early days, so it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Um, I think for so long, marriage has been seen for women, at least, as a really significant point in their life where life kind of forks off into different roads afterwards. Yeah. Do you see it that way? Do you see that there's change coming with this, or do you see it as? just something you're doing because you love Charlie? Probably the second one. I don't really see it as a big change in my life. Like Charlie and I already live together and I think I decided a long time ago that he was it for me and he was who I wanted to be my in my family. So the proposal and the wedding more seem like a little formality that's just going to be really, really fun. But I am aware that we'll probably start trying to have kids at some point. And I'm a bit nervous about that and what that will be like running a small business and having a kid at the same time and what kind of pressures and also different perspectives it might bring to me because at the moment the Beanies is my kid and whenever I'm not working or not working on the Beanies, I'm thinking about Beanies or I'm messaging Laura about Beanies or I, I find it really hard to switch off and I don't think that you can do that when you have a baby question mark uh apparently not i've heard (laughs) i've heard apparently not uh but i have a lot of big auntie energy that needs to be unleashed so i i'm all for bringing on uh babies that are not just the beanies the band (laughs) we talked about at what point you kind of 
could celebrate the success and you say you're sort of still waiting for that. Do you have in your head milestones that you want the band to achieve? I do. And we have achieved a lot of them. So I think I do need to just celebrate what's happened, but I definitely have a, a part of my head that thinks as soon as I get something it wasn't that good anyway. It wasn't that hard to get. Like if you got it, that's like, uh. um, so like getting on ABC kids TV for years has been a milestone for mm. us. Like since the band started and that happened in March at the beginning of this year, which was very, very exciting. And then I think I've kind of reached, a, a like a now what kind of feeling, um, which is confusing, um, and a bit confronting as well. And, yeah, I don't know. Is there, is there ever a point where people who create things and create their own businesses are just satisfied or do people just keep going forever and ever and turn into Oprah Winfrey or they don't? Like what? <laughs> yeah. I don't no, know. <laughs> I, I look, I don't think I've ever met a creative that's genuinely satisfied and has just gone, you know what I think I've done? I've done, I've put enough good stuff in the world. I'll just, I'll just chill out now and rest on my yeah. laurels. I, I also wonder if, you know, is there a sense of, pinning your happiness on various achievements where you go, I'll be happy when X, Y, Z. And then when, when comes around and you're not 1000% happy, happy, you're like, oh, well, I'll be happy when this happens. Yeah. That's exactly what is going on with me and what I'm kind of discovering at the moment. I just, I sent you a podcast the other day to listen to on the imperfects and it's the interview with Ben Crow where he comes in and Actually, it's more just like a Ben Crow monologue with everyone agreeing with him, but it's great. And he talks about goals versus purpose in life. And I think that that's something that I really need to figure out. And I'm in the process of figuring it out. I've I've identified there's a problem with how I am measuring my success and I have not solved it, but I will. (laughs) I have no doubt that you will. So for the beanies, without in any way suggesting that you have not already achieved success, what is next for the Beanies? Well, I'm really hoping that we'll be able to put out another TV show. So the TV show that we have at the moment are animated uh, video clips to our songs, which are adorable, but I would really like to see the TV show turn into kind of like the podcast as a TV show with um, more acting and more stories and more interaction with the audience Um, watching at home so I'm really excited for that and then also next week on Monday we're on tour with our show in theatres which I'm so excited for so we're going to heaps of different places Um, I think next week we're in Byron Bay which will be really nice and we're also in Grafton and Coffs Harbour so it's all yeah it feels like everything that we're working towards is is on the horizon which is nice. What's your favourite song? Like if there are parents listening right now, what's Ooh. what's the Beanie's gateway drug? Which song should they start with? My favourite song is probably Painting Party because that was one of the first ones that we wrote and it's all about painting and craft, which is one of, which is one of my favourite things. Um, yeah, I just find that one really special and I think it's got a really, it's got a message in it but it's not like, hey, kids, sit down and hear this message. Um, which is about it doesn't matter what your painting looks like. Like it doesn't matter if it looks realistic. It doesn't matter if it looks good. Just paint it anyway and have a good time. And I think that's really important. When I was working with kids previously, I would always notice that they didn't want to draw things because they were worried about the outcome. Um, 
So that's why I really like that song. Even just saying that now, I'm having a little epiphany that uh, that's what I do about worry about the outcome instead of just enjoy what I should probably listen to my own messages. I'm going to ask our amazing producer, Bron, to put like a bomb exploding <laughs> or like a mic drop kind of moment there. Like we've had a we've had a breakthrough, everybody. We've had we a breakthrough <laughs> on the weekend briefing. Go listen to your own song. <laughs> when you're creating and you're coming up with the language and the concepts and the music that is going to appeal to kids. Mm. How do you get yourself into the headspace when you don't have kids of your own? Like how do you get yourself yeah. to, because it's quite a silly headspace. It is. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of adults have trouble going back to that, yeah. that place. Definitely. And I think that's a really hard thing to do if you're always very corporate and very serious. Like that's your that's your automatic train of thought that you follow. Just like having a habit makes that thing easier to do than breaking the habit. It's not, not, I'm not used to going that way. So the three of us are very innately silly and silly when we're together. So just being together makes that happen. What about if you're not just feeling flat for the day? Like uh, have there been times when you or others in the band have gone through extended periods of difficulty or sadness? Mm. How yeah. do you, like I suppose it's in the same way a comedian has to, right? Like how do you go on stage and be funny or fun or silly or joyful um, yeah. when life is tinged with something else? Yeah, that's hard. And you've got you've got to just turn it on really. Um, and it's definitely a hard thing to do. Um Actors talk a lot about being in character and uh, that's a real thing. That's a real thing of when you're in character, you feel a certain way and you act a certain way and often just pretending to be that way even if you're not feeling it, in about five minutes you, you'll be in it. So, yeah, fake it till you make it is the is the advice on that one from me. But I definitely went through a period like that when when you were you were quite ill and we were still writing songs through that period. We weren't performing live as much because I was in Melbourne a lot with you. Um, but we were still writing songs together on Zoom and things like that. And a lot of the time I'd join the Zoom after being with you for eight to ten hours in the hospital and everyone would be like, how are you going, Mim? And I'd be like, oh, not not great. <laughs> it's a bit rough. Uh, not feeling awesome. Um and everyone's just quite gentle with each other when they're having a, a bad time. And if other people start acting silly and having little jokes, it's it's hard not to join in. So, yeah, it it was hard. But um, I think you just kind of go with the energy that's happening around you. And if the rest of your team can have that energy and pull you along, that's really helpful. I don't want to make this all about me, but... <laughs> You know, I, th- I think something worth recognising is that uh, like on this podcast I've talked to a whole bunch of people who have been um, seriously ill or have gone through a horrible accident, people like Toria Pitt, um, yeah. and it has changed their life. And and we rightly focus on the person who that horrible thing happens to. But often, mm. and particularly when you're young like you are, the worst thing that's happened to you in your life is is not your own physical health or illness being threatened it's someone Mm. else's and look it's usually a parent but you know I I don't think I've ever asked what that period was like for you because I was so focused on what it was like for me yeah 
And I was too. To be honest, even when you ask me that question now, I find it really hard to answer because when people would say to me, how are you doing? I'd say, oh, well, Jamila's got this on and this is what's happening and she's this. she stood up today and, like, I, I would answer it in the context of you. Um, so all my memories are in the context of you as well. But I think that almost kind of helps you get through a really hard time is to put the focus on someone else and that was easy to do because you needed our focus. I reckon one of your many, and there were many contributions to making me feel better um, when I was <laughs> acutely unwell, but uh, I think the greatest achievement was uh, the night before my second brain surgery, I was put in a room where you weren't allowed to have someone stay the night with you yes. and I was incredibly anxious and um, we decided that um, – my husband, Jez, needed to be at home with Ruffy, my son. And yeah. so you said, I will stay as long as I can. And I remember mm. just before I fell asleep, you said, I won't go. I will not no. leave. And when I woke up in the morning, you were still there. <laughs> and what yeah. I want to know is what happened between 10.30 p.m. and 5.30 a.m. Am I allowed to say? Am I going to get in trouble? What are they going to do? Gonna someone going to come arrest me? Some <laughs> no, doctor? No. <laughs> well, if. Don't tell them, everyone, um, but this is what happened. So Jamila went to sleep and I didn't want to leave you, so I hid in the bathroom a lot when the nurses would come and check on you and I hid under the bed. You did not. I did. I went under the bed because I got two chairs and I pushed them together and made a little makeshift bed next to your bed and then when I could hear the nurses coming around, I would just, like, shuffle one of the chairs out and, like, slip down the hole and, like, roll under the bed and just be like, and just hide there. Um, so I, I hit a lot. I did get caught. I did get caught once because um, I actually fell asleep. I don't know how I fell asleep for a little bit, but I did. And then the nurse came in and whispered to me like, what are you doing here? Like visiting hours are over, get out. And I was just like, I'm not leaving. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like, you, you have to leave. And I was like, no. <laughs> No, I was like, my sister's scared, so I'm staying here. <laughs> I just didn't go. And everyone was asleep and I think the nurse was just kind of like, I'm not dealing with this psychopath, I'll just leave her. And so I got away with it. I just stayed. Well, thank you very much. It was the act of incredible loyalty. Yeah, I feel I feel bad for any nurses that might be listening. They're probably like, how annoying, this girl, just, just refusing to leave. <laughs> Uh, well, I think it was amazing and it was one of many acts of, of heroism and, and solidarity. Mim, thanks for being uh, my sister and thanks for being my guest on The Weekend Briefing. Thanks for being my sister and for having me on The Weekend Briefing. <laughs> That's it for my conversation with Miriam Rizvi or Mim Beanie. You can listen to The Beanies podcast on the Listener app or wherever you get your podcasts. The Beanies are also hitting the road, as you heard from Mim, with all their original children's music for The Beanies' Extraordinary Day. Guys, get ready for a lot of egg puns, like a lot, a lot. Head to thebeanies.com.au for all the information on tour dates and tickets. If you've got little kids at your place, you should definitely jump onto the Listener app and subscribe to them there also. It is weekend briefing time and after the longest, longest period, Bron is back. I am back. We are here and we are here with our recommendations. Bron, 
What have you been watching, reading, doing, listening to? What have you got for the people? I know it's good to have the gang back together. So first one is Only Murders in the Building, season two. It's streaming on Disney Plus at the moment. I was obsessed with season one and I feel like it just came out not that long ago. So it wasn't a big gap between seasons, but they're making us wait for it. It's dropping week to week. So I'm only a couple episodes in, but it's a strong start so far. It's very rare for a true crime podcast to do a sequel. We have a real opportunity here. Does anyone else feel like there's still a couple of loose ends? Get a new hobby as long as it doesn't land you in jail. Like knitting? All right, don't be a smart ass. It's kind of her thing. We've got, um... Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. It is like a great cast. They've got fun little cameos from celebrities coming in as well. I would probably, if you've seen season one, I'd maybe, they do like a recap at the start of season two, but I've forgotten so much about it. I just watched the last episode of season one again, just so I was caught up because it follows over to the next season as well. It doesn't start fresh. But, yeah, it's just fun and it keeps you guessing the whole time. I don't know. I love a murder mystery. Me too. Something that just keeps you coming back and where you sort of have to keep watching. I actually really enjoy that feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, I have got one that's sort of the opposite end of the spectrum. I have been home uh, in bed with COVID and – I really couldn't do anything that strained my brain, even a little bit, Bron. I, um, a few people told me that I really need to start Borgen. So I tried that, but like I couldn't, I couldn't subtitle, like I was not capable of it. And so I went a searching for something that would give me a long watch that I hadn't seen before that I could just watch back to back. And I found on 10 play MasterChef fans versus faves, which is the season that's out at the moment. But you can watch about 45 episodes are sitting there for you uh, on 10 play. And I'm a good 30 or so through. Um, I'm thrilled I wasn't watching this live because I, it means I have saved it up. I love MasterChef. I love the fact it is so damn wholesome. It is a rare reality television show where there is a lot of support and kindness between the contestants, which sounds super Pollyanna, but it means that the challenge or the recipe or the difficulty, uh, the degree of difficulty of the food they're trying to create, that's what creates the drama rather than the interpersonal stuff that I think is often the cause of drama on, on reality TV. I am absolutely loving it. I think the new judges, um, Andy Allen, Melissa Leong and Jocks on Frillo are a really great combination together. I find them really watchable and interesting. I think they've totally freshened up a show that otherwise was perhaps coming to its natural conclusion. And for those who are MasterChef fans for a long time. It's really nice to see some of your favourites back again um, and seeing them put under that pressure, which makes MasterChef so tricky an environment to thrive in. And as someone who lost a lot of taste and smell for a week there, um, it's so nice to be dreaming about all of that food I saw cooked again and actually being able to, you know, taste what it is. MasterChef is such like good, wholesome fun. It truly it's so is. Good. <laughs> what else have you got from? So this next one is a very light recommendation. It's senior year on Netflix. Um, So Rebel Wilson is the star of this movie. Um, She goes into a coma like right before her prom. She's cheerleading captain. She's very excited to go to this big event after high school. But she wakes up from a coma 20 years later as a 37-year-old with the mind of a teenager. Madonna's now called Lady Gaga. No. 
Everybody else has got to go on and live their lives. And what, I'm supposed to just jump forward? I mean, I just found out there is eight more Fast and Furious movies. I want to go back to school, finish my senior year. They can't let an almost 40-year-old do high school. High school was just like yesterday for me. It will not be weird at all. It's one of those movies where I had very low expectations going into it and then... I don't know, it just surprised me by how much I enjoyed it. It was genuinely had a lot of funny moments and just a fun, easy to watch movie. Love that. That's all I want right now. I want uh, lovely brain candy uh, to watch. I'll go back to the deep stuff later on. But I am going to pause momentarily on the deep stuff, everyone, because it has been um, a really significant week, I think, in global uh, politics. And a lot of us here in Australia have been caught up in uh, the Supreme Court in the United States decision to overturn the president of Roe v. Wade and uh, the recognition that in many US states there will be no access to abortion or it will be very difficult to legally access abortion in that country um, in the coming months. It feels like a really scary and regressive decision, a decision that takes us back to a place in time where it was not uncommon for women to be forced to have children that they didn't want to and where women uh, were not able to terminate pregnancies even though those pregnancies may have threatened their own health. I think a lot of us are are, are watching what's been unfolding in the US and really struggling to make sense of it, struggling to understand the differences and the similarities uh, between the American and the Australian systems Um, and also to understand what happens from here because it very much does become a state's rights issue here Uh, and that means you're going to have a whole lot of different decisions happening in the US in terms of direction from now. You've also seen big employers speaking up um, and saying that they will support their employees in in states that uh, do uh, decide to continue with abortion being illegal to access uh, termination services interstate. So there's just so much going on. I do think it's incredibly confusing as well as enraging. Um, I have been reading and listening to as much as I can on this subject. Um, The single strongest piece that I've found, which I'm going to recommend, was published on the 4th of July uh, in the New York online. Um, It's by Gia Tolentino. It's called We're Not Going Back to the Time Before Roe. We're Going Somewhere Worse. Um, It is a a very clever but also easy to read summary um, of uh, what's going on over there, what this means for American women and American people who can get pregnant and what might happen from here. So it's a difficult and challenging note to end on. Uh, but if you're someone who's sort of searching to figure out what you think and um, trying to find more information, I think that's a great place to start. That's it for the weekend briefing for another week. Gosh, it has been fun having the gang back together. It's so nice to have Bron here. And what an unusual and special episode getting to chat to my sister. If you want to make sure that you never miss an episode of The Briefing or never miss an episode of The Beanies, then you should head to the Listener app. And when you're there, you can just go and find our podcasts. Otherwise, you can follow uh, The Beanies or you can follow The Briefing wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please lend us a little moment of your time to leave a wonderful review and a rating. It will help other people to find the podcast. We will be back bright and early Monday morning where Tom Tilly and the team will have the latest headlines straight to your headphones. Listener.